Centre for Population Change, which is shared between Southampton and St Andrews Universities, uh, was one of a number of ESRC, Economic and Social Research Council, uh, groups that were asked to uh, do some new work uh, on migration in the context of the uh, forthcoming referendum on Scottish independence that comes up in September. Uh, and uh, it was uh, also tremendous to be able to do this in parallel with the work that Compass has been doing at Oxford, and so it's good to see colleagues here from, from Compass who have also been working with them. So, um, three presentations. Uh, I want to present to you a little bit uh, on two questions. The first is, what evidence relating to migration uh, is there that is pertinent to discussing uh, the context of the referendum? Uh, and then secondly, uh, I want us to think uh, about the question of is Scotland distinctive or is it actually the regions of the United Kingdom that are distinctly different uh, from London with regard to migration. Then I'll hand over to Jakub who's been doing the part of the project which has asked the question what will happen to migration in the future under independence or under a, a no vote where uh, the status quo remains uh, in place. Uh, how will that affect migration? And then I'll hand over to David to finish off uh, our presentation. David will be talking about one of the three main thrusts we've had with our primary data analysis. We've interviewed employers and their attitudes to migration into the future. We've interviewed uh, students and their views on migration uh, to Scottish institutions and that is part of course of the migration regime in Scotland. Uh, and thirdly we're looking at local authorities and their capacity for uh, welcoming, uh, housing, finding schooling uh, for migrant children uh, and migrant families. So these are the three uh, primary data sets we've been using. To start off, I just want to present something of the evidence base to familiarise you uh, with the nature of uh, migration to Scotland. So I think the starting point is just looking at the overall net migration trend and to say Scotland traditionally was a country of net emigration. Uh, as we look over the last 25 uh, to 30 years, there's been a very distinctive shift from being a country of net emigration to a country of net immigration. And that is a shift that concerns both international and internal movements. So Scotland used to be a country that lost a lot of people internationally to other parts of the world, and it lost also uh, through net migration to England. Uh, since about the year 2000, that has shifted uh, to being a net gain, but it's an overall trend towards uh, gaining migration, uh, both from England and internationally. The bits uh, of that graph that are uh, hashed reflect that there are different figures from 2001 onwards, uh, depending on whether we look at the figures that were estimated from the 2001 census or the most recent estimates based on the 2011 census where they corrected backwards the mid-year estimates for Scotland. So that's why that data is hashed. Now the second important thing in a Scottish context when we're talking about migration uh, is to recognise that migration has a very distinctive contribution to Scotland's demographic targets. Uh, the Scottish Government has taken a position where it has set uh, a target for Scotland to have population growth equivalent to the EU average for the EU 15 countries. And this graph here shows that initially in the 70s and 80s Scotland uh, was well below that average and it has moved to a situation where four out of the last six years, it has population growth uh, above the EU average. And that is not because of any significant difference in births and deaths. 
uh, by and large, the population would be stagnant if it was based on uh, the relationship between births and deaths or declining slightly. It is the change in migration towards net migration gains that have led the uh, Scottish government to feel that it's getting close to or is achieving its population target. And it argues that having that target is very important uh, for three reasons. It says it is important because uh, the ageing profile of that population would be a problem for sustaining uh, things such as the National Health Service of Scotland uh, unless we had uh, a useful regeneration. Uh, it says it matters because a useful population brings uh, workers and without uh, sufficient workers in the population the economy would be in some difficulties. And it argues that migration is a selective process and that selectivity is a positive thing and leads to net economic gains for the country. Uh, so that is a distinctive thing because other parts of the United Kingdom uh, uh, do not have a population target and they are not as dependent on migration uh, to achieve uh, uh, population growth. The other distinctive thing clearly in the Scottish context uh, is that while the UK government in recent years has clearly put a cap on immigration and by and large has shifted uh, from uh, managed migration to trying to restrict uh, migration, and that's a gross generalisation that people at Compass and uh, the audience here, I'm sure, uh, can recognise. While that is a position uh, from Westminster and uh, for the United Kingdom government, the Scottish government over many years has held a pro-immigration policy. This started with Jack McConnell under the Labour-led Holyrood government, uh, and they introduced a fresh talent policy to encourage particularly students to stay in Scotland uh, and to work there for two years. Uh, and then the current regime, the current SNP-led uh, government, has also, in its white paper, leading up to the referendum, stated that it wants to have a different policy on immigration, uh, where there to be a yes vote in September. So that stands in contrast, then, uh, with other aspects of their uh, manifesto as laid out in my paper. As we've seen recently, they wanted to keep the same currency as south of the border, but when it comes to migration, they wanted a different position. So there's some context. Migration clearly gives Scotland global reach. If one was to compare the migration patterns to Scotland uh, from the migration patterns to England, one would see a remarkably similar uh, global pattern because Scotland shared clearly uh, in uh, the British Empire, it's linked to the Commonwealth, are the same south of the border. And where we get distinction uh, is in recent years since uh, the EU expansion in 2004. And this data from the uh, 2011 census shows that although many of the countries are the same, the relative composition of certain origin points is rather different. So Polish workers in Scotland, for example, 15% of all immigrant workers, by contrast with just 7.7% south of the border. And the point that's made from that is that where there are not immigration controls, where UK immigration policy cannot restrict migration, Scotland does seem to be attracting more migrants, uh, whether that be because of the demand for them or because of a positive message that is being put out. If one was to then look at the evidence about the nature of migration to Scotland, there are elements of difference in composition and in the scale. This diagram shows that England has uh, a much higher uh, proportion of its usual residents uh, born abroad than Scotland. And Scotland is only uh, about 7%. So much lower migration historically, but a, a recent shift towards more migrants coming into the country. The composition of the migrants are different not only uh, with regard to origin, but also with regard to specific flows and their significance. One flow that's particularly important to Scotland, as I hinted earlier, is the flow of students. And here we see 
the percentage of students from outside the UK by region of origin as a proportion of all students. And you can see that Scotland there, both in terms of EU and international students, depends more on international flows uh, than uh, is the case uh, in higher education institutions south of the border. So it's important for the economy uh, of higher education in Scotland uh, to be able to have students coming into the country. Very briefly, this chart also looks at differences in the duration uh, and length of residence of migrants. By and large, as I've said, it's been not as strong a flow historically into Scotland, uh, but recent flows, particularly since 2004, have seen a lot of shorter-term migration, people staying a relatively short time uh, or having come relatively recently. Now, the second point that I want to make before handing over to Jakub uh, is is it really that Scotland is different from England? Because that is how the media has tended to present the debate. A government in Westminster that has a different view from the government in Holyrood figures for England and Scotland. When one looks at the data in a disaggregated fashion, the question of scale becomes very important. Uh, and there's a briefing paper which we prepared, which you're welcome to take away, that shows when you look at a regional disaggregation of issues around migration, that the picture comes out rather differently. This chart shows again the 7% of Scotland's population that are born outside the United Kingdom, but it shows that the difference uh, that exists can be represented as not Scotland being different from England, but rather London and South East being very different from all the other regions of the United Kingdom. And uh, if you look at the briefing paper, we, you'll see that we represent lots of graphs taking different measures of migration uh, that show that time and again the regions of England and Scotland and Wales actually have a lot of similarities and it's London and the South East that stand out as being very different in terms of the significance of migration. I'm only putting in one other chart uh, on this issue and here is somewhere a chart that takes that percentage of foreign born and plots it against wages. And just three points from this graph I think are evident. First of all, the southeast, which includes London in this case, on this occasion it's a statistical region. You can see southeast is, a, is, a, is an outlier, but a very important outlier uh, in determining the relationship between wages and the proportion of the population uh, who are foreign born. Secondly, uh, you can see uh, that Scotland, along with the regions of England, uh, not only has lower percentages of migrants, but also has lower wages. And the economic argument usually is you expect the number of migrants to in some way reflect economic opportunities, uh, and that relationship as a general relationship might uh, be thought to hold across the United Kingdom. But arguments can be made that if you look at Scotland relative to the position of the line, that given the wage levels, Scotland might be expected to have many more migrants. Uh, so uh, at £500 per week, a little bit over that, Scotland might be expected to have something in the order of 13% of its population made up of uh, foreign-born rather than 7%. <laughs> that raises the question, why is that the case? Uh, is it to do with economic opportunities and being a region that doesn't have it? It certainly isn't to do with wages. Or is it to do with immigration policy? Uh, and that is perhaps a question that requires a great deal more thought. From the point of view of Compass, from the point of view of migration research, we have then the question, uh, is it that a, a problem uh, that Britain has a one-size-fits-all immigration policy, uh, or should Britain, uh, like several other countries like Canada and Australia, contemplate the possibility of having a differentiated migration policy? Canada has different policies for the different provinces. Australia has policies that try to attract migrants to certain parts of the country. 
Does a one-size-fits-all policy, uh, is it problematic for the United Kingdom? And should, therefore, the discussion not be Scotland having a different policy from England, should it not rather be a discussion around whether or not uh, London and the South East requires a different policy, perhaps, uh, from uh, the rest of the country? These are issues that perhaps we can return to in questions. Uh, there's the briefing paper. I'm going to hand over to Jakob now to talk about our forecasting. The part of the project package that, that we have been tasked with south, south of the border, in the background and myself, was uh, to try to predict Scottish migration flows under two different constitutional scenarios, so independence versus status quo. And if you, if you think that this is a quite a difficult and challenging task, you're perfectly right. <laughs> migration is the most, actually, the most difficult to, to predict component of, of population change. And especially if we are talking about something that, that might have a bearing on, on the circumstances that drive mi migration. So I'll quickly go through what is the current state of the art in the official statistics. How do the official statistics treat migration in the population projections or forecasts they make? First of all, the state of the art is that what is being foreseen or predicted is net migration. So the difference between inflows and outflows into Scotland and not particular flows in both directions separately. Secondly, what we have is, is uh, three different variants. The main one, where, where net migration converges to about plus 15 uh, and a half thousand persons per year in a few years down the line and two sort of boundary variants that, that are meant to represent some ambiguity about the, about the future. Then these, these are the low and high with plus 7 and plus 24,000 persons, respectively. So what we thought was lacking in this approach is, first of all, the net migration construct, which is, which is an artificial statistical thing that doesn't really correspond to the, the actual migration flow processes. So what we decided to look at different directions of mi migration flows, and by that, we decided to, to unpack Scottish migration, both looking at internal migration exchange with the rest of the United Kingdom, as well as international migration from and to overseas. Second, we wanted to move beyond the three variants and, and try to actually quantify the uncertainty surrounding, surrounding migration predictions. Since migration is, is so uh, unpredictable as, 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 as we know it to be, well, we wanted at least to have an idea about how certain can we be about different statements about the future migration? And to do that, what we, what we needed is, was a combination of different sources of information that we had at our, at our disposal, and these were, of course, the, the, the time series of historical data, which we decided to augment with information elicited from migration experts from academia and civil service, both north and south of the border. And uh, since we decided to include expert in information, and we, we had a small expert survey just to, to, to help us with, with that, that task, we also asked the experts about some justifications uh, pertaining to some particular groups of migrants, which just, just to help us understand the reasoning behind the, behind the views. So in terms of the, the model and the method that we followed, we followed something that's called as statistics, a Bayesian approach, which basically combines different sources of information in a coherent framework and tries to 
portray the uncertainty, the predictive uncertainty in a, in a coherent fashion. So, so in this way, we were able to actually to, to use the information that we have both from the, from the historical data as well as from the experts and, and put it all together. And the mod model worked as follows. That we, had, we had four streams of migration. These are the, the, the ones, the black rectangles on the, on the slide. So from, the Scot from Scotland to the rest of the UK, vice versa, and international to and, and from Scotland. For each of those, we looked at two scenarios. One, the status quo, so assuming no change, so and no vote in the referendum. The other, with independence, uh, voted this year and taking effect in 2016, according to the, the Scottish Government white paper. And for the independence scenario, we actually additionally looked at four variants thereof, depending on the actual timing <coughs> and pattern of change of migration flows between, between now and, and the horizon of the, of the forecast, which is 2021. And these, uh, these Variants either assume the gradual change throughout the period or assume some sudden changes in the year 2016 when the independence actually is expected to, to take into effect should there be a yes vote in the referendum. So basically, we examined a range of possible pathways from now to the values that we predicted for 2021. And uh, in our Ultimate forecast, these four variants were given equal weights, so, so they, were, they were weighted in exactly the same way each. But this doesn't hold for the scenarios, because for the, for the scenarios, of course, the, the likelihood of Scotland gaining independence is different from the likelihood of Scotland retaining the position within the United Kingdom. So for that, we additionally included information about the predicted outcome of the referendum, which is based on an, on an or again, extrapolation of trends from the past two years of opinion polls, additionally augmented by, by expert opinion. But that's not the main outcome, although it might seem, you know, it might seem to be tempting to, to go to that direction, but it's not the main outcome. What we needed it, this information for is basically to assign weights to the scenario, both scenarios. So once we, did, once we did that, here is what we came uh, up with. We have four graphs for four migration flows. Immigration from the rest of the, of the UK to, to, to Scotland. Immigration from Scotland to the rest of the UK. So that's the top, top panel is internal or intra-UK migration. And the bottom panel is the international immigration as well as uh, emigration to and from Scotland. The shades of grey represents the area of different probability or different likelihood where we think that actually you know, the, 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 action, the, the action will be taking place. So, so basically the darker the shading, the more likely we think that the future migration will be in a certain area. And these, uh, these lines here denote 10% probability bands. So, so the, the, the very bottom line indicates that such a, such a level of migration where we think that the chances of migration being lower than that are actually about one in ten. And likewise, the, 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 the top line, the 90% line, we, we think that the, the chances of migration actually exceeding that level are one in ten. And the median level, so the half-half 50-50 line is, is the one uh, corresponding to the 50% mark. So what, what, do we, what do we see here? First of all, there is substantial uncertainty. I mean, no, no, no big surprise there. We, we can't have really a 
precise migration prediction. If you show me a precise migration prediction, you'll show me a migration prediction that I think that will go wrong quite quickly. As uh, everyone probably remembers from, from 2003, when there was a famous forecast of, of migration from the uh, EU accession countries to the United Kingdom. So, uh, so that's, that's one observation. Uncertainty is that there are some trends showing up in these in these forecasts. So, especially for for international migration, there is a uh, after after the in recent years, there is a slightly you know, slightly upward trend in both directions. More visible for for immigration from Scotland to overseas, which is which is more likely to to, to, to increase than than in the case of of the other trends. By far, immigration to Scotland is the most uncertain of them all. This has the, 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 widest, the widest range here amongst the four, the four flows that we consider. And if you look at migration between the UK and the rest of the UK and, 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 and Scotland, on average there is not much change, although the uncertainty is still there. So basically, what, what, it's, what it's showing that, that, that may be some, there may be some changes to the to the international migration, less so to migration within the UK as it stands now, but all of that is, is subsumed within the, the quite wide uncertainty bounds that we see in this graph. And just to give you some justifications that that came out uh, from the survey of our experts that. Uh, that they provided for certain flows of uh, migrants. What this graph is showing is a, a group of answers of the experts, how they, how they feel that particular flows of migrants will react to Scotland gaining independence or Scot Scotland remaining uh, within the UK. And the groups of migrants are the first blue bars, students, then young workers, uh, families with children and retirees. These, these were the four four groups that we explicitly asked for. So if you see that uh, under the uh, status quo scenario, most of the experts expected that international inflows into Scotland would probably not change much. If something changes, uh, maybe the student migration. So this is, this is clearly something related to the, the differ differential in the fees regime between, between uh, England and, and Scotland. On the contrary, if Scotland gains independence, there's quite a, quite a shift towards uh, expectations that the, the student migration as well as the, the young worker migration might indeed increase somewhat. And there is a tacit, in, in, the, in the comments that we got from the survey, the qualitative comments, there, there were explanations about independent Scottish migration policy. That's something that, that Alan mentioned in, the, in his part of the talk. But, one thing I wanted to, 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 to point out when, when looking at slides like that, there is quite a spread of opinion of the, of the experts. So that's yet another source of uncertainty that we had to, 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 to pack into the forecasts. And uh, we did actually include them in the forecast. So that's also something to bear in mind. Uncertainty comes from the experts as well. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't agree. So to, 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 to wrap it up, uh, I think that the key messages coming out from this exercise is that, of course, migration as from, from and to Scotland is uncertain, highly uncertain, as indeed are all migration flows. So the, the, there weren't really big surprises in that respect. The greatest uncertainty we forecast for 
international immigration into Scotland for the reasons that I just mentioned. So the ambiguity about the, the future, uh, possible future migration policy uh, in Scotland, as well as uh, to, to some extent about students. It's quite likely that emigration from Scotland will increase irrespective of the referendum outcome, which is, which is quite an inter interesting observation. And migration between Scotland and the rest of the UK will likely, again, remain at similar levels to, 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 to the present. The main point, to, to, to sum up all, all these four, is that actually when we look across all the flows and all the scenarios and all the variants that we that we prepared. It seems that migration itself is so uncertain that, that the result of the constitutional referendum and the ambiguity surrounding the result of the constitutional referendum doesn't add much to the overall uncertainty of migration. Thank you very much. I'll hand over today. Okay, Jakob, thank you. Okay, back to Northern border again. <laughs> I'm going to cover what employers in Scotland think about immigration, what the public in Scotland thinks about immigration, and what policy implications of our research in general are. The point from this chart is that uh, businesses in Scotland value migration. Okay? During the summer, we conducted an online survey, and for all of the sectors listed, over half of respondents said that visa and immigration law and EU status was important to the functioning of their business. So the message here is that immigration matters to Scottish businesses. Second point, why does immigration matter? Over the last six months, we've been conducting interviews with businesses in Scotland, and the message is that immigration is uh, valued by employers as addressing skills gaps and labour gaps in the Scottish economy. Okay? What do employers think about UK immigration policy as it currently stands? They value the freedom of movement across Europe, but they're concerned that uh, the points-based system is becoming increasingly restrictive um, in terms of addressing skills gaps, and they're also concerned that they see immigration policy being uh, developed with needs and experiences of the southeast of England in mind, as opposed to the UK more generally, including Scotland. Of course, employers across the UK might say these types of things, but of course Scotland is in the unique situation of having a referendum quite soon, and employers see the referendum as an opportunity to try and develop an immigration policy that is more oriented towards their needs. So there's still flux in terms of policy making in Scotland at the moment, and this is an opportunity for businesses to push for a more favourable immigration policy. Of course, the Scottish Government is making positive noises about immigration, and the expectation is they would pursue a more liberal immigration policy. But of course, such a policy would need the support of the public, and in Scotland there's a narrative um, put forward by policymakers that Scotland is relatively welcoming of migrants. Um, so to try and test this, we use the British Social Attitude Survey, it's got various indicators of migration, and apart from London, the good news is, uh, from the Scottish perspective, that Scotland uh, tends to be more welcoming, or at least ho less hostile, to immigration than lots of other parts of the UK. So good news if you're a Scottish policymaker there. Um, of course, this research, the British Social Attitude Survey, this was in 2011, so uh, compasses recent work on the social attitudes, um, which came out at the start of this week. A lot of you probably heard about it. Good news is it kind of, it kind of supports uh, our findings as well. So uh, the public in Scotland is more welcoming or less hostile towards migration than other parts of the UK. And there's support for Scotland having control over its own immigration policy, even if the public don't necessarily agree with the more liberal stance. And finally, in terms of constitutional preferences and attitudes towards migration, people who anticipate voting yes see themselves as 
being less hostile to immigration than people who have seen themselves voting no. Again, that's good news from the Scottish Government's perspective because the people who deliver the powers to have their own immigration policy would be relatively supportive of a more liberal immigration policy. Okay, so thinking about the policy implications of our work. As we've heard from other speakers, there's, there's an idea that a one-size-fits-all UK immigration policy isn't necessarily the best thing. This is potentially to the detriment. Policy tends to be or oriented towards the needs of the South East and experiences of the South East, uh, potentially to the detriment of other parts of the UK, including Scotland. Scotland has got an opportunity to try and develop a more autonomous immigration policy, but of course that will meet certain opportunities and certain challenges regardless of the outcome of the referendum. So, um, if Scotland votes no in September, there's still an opportunity for a more autonom autonomous immigration policy. As Alan mentioned, uh, countries such as Canada and Australia have already developed some national immigration policies, and potentially this could happen within the framework of the UK as well. However, such policies would meet uh, practical and political barriers, and finally, chances are that if Scotland votes no, things that might stay much the same in terms of immigration policy it might still be bound to this one-size-fits-all immigration policy. However, if Scotland votes yes for independence, then it wouldn't necessarily have a very independent immigration policy. Of course, it would have the political levers to have some immigration policy, and it would have a public who are relatively welcoming, potentially, of immigration. However, um, Scotland would like to stay in the common travel area with the rest of the UK and with Ireland, and as such, it couldn't have radically different immigration policy from those countries. Secondly, Scotland would be part of the European Union, so we wouldn't control over um, immigration to and from Europe. And finally, although the public is relatively welcoming of migration, there's still some hostility there, and that might increase if Scotland sees more migrants in the future. To summarise, the evidence points to Scotland being different um, in terms of experiences of migration, migration needs, and views towards migration as well. Um, scale matters, so it's not a case of Scotland versus England, Scotland versus if we can compare Scotland to different regions in England, that's probably a more appropriate way of looking at these issues. And uh, forecasts suggest things will stay remarkably similar uh, over the outcome of the referendum. And finally, there is, uh, there's a case can be made for Scotland, as well as other parts of the UK, having a more nuanced immigration policy than the current one-size-fits-all.